0: Welcome to The Balkan Talks, where we discuss everything business and news related to the Western Balkans. The Balkan Talks is brought to you by WBBG, your partner for doing business in the Western Balkans region. Enjoy the episode.
1: What kind of message does this send to the other countries? For example, serbia who yeah. you mentioned about the kosovo thing
2: and they'll probably be like why should we reform when northern macedonia did so right so but we they're dem- and didn't get to join anyway
1: exactly so they're demanding for serbia to to recognize kosovo because that's one of the things that they are asking them to do to be it's a to. demand it's, it's a, a demand. demand in order to continue the process right right so what kind of message does that send
2: and that's the reason why the eu uh or at least the eu why the member states who have been Um, Opponents have gotten a lot of backlash Like Macron got a lot of backlash For blocking North Macedonia's um, uh, admission Or at least continuing the process Of uh, negotiating admission Because they, like a lot of people What you're saying, say like Hello, we did the things We, like, of all things We changed the bloody name of our country (laughs) You know, to please you And still we're not getting in And that's very um, treacherous (laughs) Sani, how lovely to see you again. Thanks, I guess. Well, you know, I always like seeing you, especially in this setting.
1: In this setting, it's amazing. It is because we have a podcast and it seems to be, you know, people seem to like it a little bit.
2: We've received a lot of positive replies on our previous episode. The last one was
1: really good. It's really good. So one thing before we continue with the episode is I'm kind of sick. So maybe you can hear that in my voice, right? So... I'm um <clears throat>
2: please leave sad replies for Sonia sickness F's in the chat <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> for my for my for my voice and uh, maybe we should uh, explain a little bit more about the current format that we uh, that we're choosing actually yeah
2: but sure go ahead Sonia so uh for
1: those those of you that actually saw the um, for our listeners that actually saw the first um uh, the, the videos that we posted on Facebook asking you for, Questions and we, by the way, we received some questions, which we, which we will be answering later in the uh, in yeah. The thank you very
2: much for sending in questions. Thank you, they're lovely, you. and yeah. uh, we appreciate the feedback. So Definitely. always fun. So um, uh,
1: we're going to do two podcasts every month now instead of one. So we're going to increase the frequency, which is really good. So more of us, more of us. I know you love hearing our voices.
2: Everybody loves more of us. Everybody loves more of us, I think. That should be a name for like a sitcom. Everybody no- everybody loves more of us. I, don't, I think that's a really
1: corny name, but you know, maybe it'll Yeah, fly. But it's like a 90s si- sitcom, you everybody, know, like the- The Friends?
2: Friends, friends vibe, you know, yeah. that's what you want. Right. So well, <laughs> let me just
1: get back to my explanation. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no worries, I forgive you. So um, we- um, uh, we're going to do two podcasts every month, but we're going to still uh, keep uh, the format of one guest every month. So one podcast is going to be basically uh guest like last time we had Sander Schimmelpenick. Um, and this time we're going to be just you and I, Sandro and Sanier, talking about some recent events, uh, news, whatever. And uh, we're going to be answering some questions and one extra segment, which I'm unsure if we'll be able to do uh, this episode, but um, maybe we can announce it at the end. We'll see. We'll see. You know, the, the, the big uh, thing that we talked about in the strategy ses- session with companies and organizations and giving them awards you're, you're even like getting me intrigued but let's save that for the end if we have time right okay so that's going to be the format so two podcasts every month so that's first first things first that's out of the way um let's get back
2: to the topic at hand yeah because so we have some interesting stuff to talk about What's because that? um you know you've been watching the news recently you've seen who's leaving us a lot of people are leaving me every day, but they, <laughs> most people come back every time. Do they? But there's, yeah, but there's one, <laughs> one country that's leaving us. And we know which country that is, of course. It's the beautiful country of Great Britain. Yeah, the UK. The UK. Yeah. Will we be missing them? Yeah, man.
1: They're, they're, they're fucking going off into the Atlantic Ocean without us. Into the abyss. By the way, I'm not going to beep every F word I use. But anyway, they're leaving us.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so they are leaving us and uh one of the things that we do see in Europe is that um in general we did we did a uh, podcast uh, last season you know with uh, Andrea centov about the European elections so yeah, yeah that time we talked about Europe a little bit uh, but it's been like a year ago by now mm-hmm. um and we thought it would be good to uh, talk about Europe again and um what is the situation now with um the enlargement towards the Western Balkans you know because uh, we still have a lot of countries there who are not EU members we have um things changing now in a rapid pace we see so the UK leaving that's one recent development but we see also other things happening you see Croatia as the chair of the EU this uh, year uh, this half year okay Um, that's going to be interesting you have a new summit in uh, May I believe Mm -hmm. uh, in Zagreb um, which is going to be about enlargement uh, for a large part yeah so this is
1: a lot of stuff happening a lot of stuff happening and uh, just to throw this in there as well this is actually one of your uh, specialties isn't it Sandro for those Yeah.
2: don't know uh, well i've i i uh, finished my master's in uh international european governance and i also did my master thesis on the specific case of bosnia uh, right. and Herzegovina uh, in his in relationship with um eu enlargement process um, and so that will be one part of the discussion here. We'll be uh, talking about Bosnia, but we'll also be talking about all the other countries yeah. um, in the current situation and what is happening there. So, um, yeah, I, I think just, I'm just, I'm just establishing your authority a little bit. Thank because, you. Like, because I, I'm just yeah. a layman
1: and I have a, opinions. I'm like a populist, basically yelling stuff, but you're, you're basically the, the average European. Right. That's me. Yeah. So I don't know what's. what so you're playing the average is, uh, European today. Is good for. Yeah. That's yeah. me. Good. Um, yeah, carry on, man. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. You know, uh, I think it's good that people know we'll be talking about this and see, no, for the people who are watching video right now, that will be great, what you just did. So um, that's something that we'll be talking about, but maybe good. That's something you do know because you might not be... the uh, biggest political monster uh, in this room today, but you do know business and you do know economics and you can probably explain why is it important that we're talking about EU enlargement, EU in general, when it comes to the Western Balkans, when it comes to prosperity and all those things. So honey, why is it important that th- these uh, non-EU countries in the Western Balkans become member states sooner than later?
1: Well... I think it's because if you include, if you include the, um, uh, the countries into, if they get gain access to the European union, um, they gain access to the market. Uh, there's going to be an increase in trust by countries outside of the region to do trade and business and investments in these countries, which is very important for economic development, which is important for business for big business and small business like entrepreneurs and all that. And, um, you know, I think we've seen some developments in that part, positive developments. But I think because of these benefits that we saw, for example, other Eastern European countries gain, obtain in the past 15 years, as they um, gained access to the EU, actually became members of the EU, uh, their economies improved drastically. So that was a really good development for them when it comes to developing their, not just their economy, but their infrastructure, their, their political landscape, uh, education, and all these things, which, you know, for those of you who are still, or not even still living in the Balkans, but uh, from the Balkans, you know, the, you know, the situation in a lot of places. Um, It's very important that, you know, we improve uh, these things and EU is one of the paths forward, you know, if these countries can, uh, meet the standards that the EU is, is, is asking for.
2: Yeah. I think that's the key word, you know, like standards is also always a crucial, yeah. but I think like stability and trust, those are like the two key words always for me, because yeah. on one end. Like when you want to become an EU member, we'll be talking about that more extensively later, but if you want to become a member, you have to fulfill certain standards, you have to do certain reforms, you have to make progress in that sense. And why um, they have to do that? Because they have to get uplifted to the EU standard of those uh, regulations, which in turn uh, create trust for companies. Because if companies can rely on certain standards being uh, implemented on one end, but also being um, you know, upheld. You know, there has to be a system of rule of law. There has to be um, a judicial system which um, enforces these standards when necessary. And once that um, is implemented and done so successfully, you create a business climate, uh, uh, climate which, when we say you know, easy to do business and make it more attractive for investment from outside the region, you have to do those things. And you've seen what happened to countries like Romania and Bulgaria. Um, um, I think that's like 15 years ago, rough, uh, roughly, but Croatia also quite relatively recently, Slovenia has been longer ago, but you see that those, those countries have benefited from, uh, uh becoming a uh, EU member state. Yeah. So I think those things have to be very important for us, um, to take into account. Like this is why we're talking about this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So one, one other thing that you could say in this situation is also the, um, um, the it kind of ties into the trust thing that we mentioned image is really important yeah so uh, there's still this image of uh i don't know not not being a safe region or stable region for doing business or even for travel or safe or whatever so which is for those of us who know and those of us who've seen it and been there it's it's not true it's nonsense it's it's greatly stable it's it's good you know um safe basically you can travel there you can do business there it's going to be um things are going to be different than what you're used to when you're used to the netherlands but I th- we have to say in that sense that the netherlands is a very exceptional place when it comes to systems and organization it's very high quality and high standard uh even more so than other european countries yeah. let's say
2: yeah but we have to watch out like the you know, one thing we don't want to do is say that everything in the Western Balkans has to be like the Netherlands or other no, Western no, countries. No, that's not what I mean. Yeah, no, no, I know. But like, I really want to like emphasize, like we should not like use our Western glasses and like look with definitely. those glasses t- towards Eastern and Southern Europe. But the point is, I think, what, what you were trying to say probably is you want to create a climate which is positive for business. Definitely, definitely. So I
1: was at this um this conference last week, which was... um.
2: Oh, the ambassadors' conference yeah, here in the Netherlands. Exactly. Yeah,
1: and you know, I talked to a few people just to conversationally about you know, casually, let's say about the Balkans, and it's it's really an Im- image thing. And I think as uh, a accession, so joining the EU would change that image because I don't feel obviously, obviously, I don't know all of the countries in Europe, but I don't feel that uh, a uh, Romania or Bulgaria is so drastically different than one of the countries in the, in the Western Balkans. However, because they joined the EU back when, let's be honest, the EU had very much lower standards you know.
2: Yeah, I know, like one of the key takeaways from one of the sources I used uh, extensively for my master thesis, they yeah. also always said, like, if Romania and Bulgaria applied to enter the EU today. today, they would never be accepted. Exactly. So, and that's
1: nothing on the countries, by the way. So yeah, if we no. have Bulgarian and Romanian listeners, don't worry, but, you know, we love you guys. But I mean, it's just the fact that they, those countries joined when they did changed the image in the minds of a lot of people. In the west like more more companies go there now like it's it's not weird to do business there but it's still kind of weird doing business in serbia or bosnia or you know whatever yeah. albania
2: you heard from uh, sander who was here you know on the last podcast he said like when he told people i'm going to go to croatia you know his family and friends were like what are you doing there why right. are you going there well, that's and a- that's even like croatia which is more um western let's say in, in a lot of people's well, minds than Serbia or Northern Macedonia or Albania and that's, that's
1: an EU country yeah right so that says something I would say yeah and um that's one so my whole point was basically that's one additional and very important aspect an advantage of joining the EU when that the countries need the reason why these countries need to do their best to try and get into the block That's all I was going to say.
2: Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's a good start. I think we're really, really getting into the the topic. You know, what is, um, maybe also good to give to our listeners, like some kind of overview for the people who are not very familiar with, um, the, the current situation. So, uh, when we look at the Western Balkan states, uh, we see that Slovenia, they joined the EU first in 2004, they became the first, uh, member obviously Slovenia is, is, is kind of a, you know, outlier when it comes to the average of the Western Balkan states. So somewhere it is, you know, historically in general. So I think it's not very weird that they joined earlier. Uh, Croatia joined in 2013, they were uh, more recent and that you see that they are experiencing now, you know, the benefits in the growth. And you see that uh, when those um, systems, you know, the bureaucratic systems and the image in the EU is changing, um, that that benefits that country. Uh, Now it's the EU chair. So that's also very unique. Like the first time uh, Western Balkan state is the chair of the EU, which is very interesting to see. Um, when we look to the other countries, we see that uh, currently Albania and North Macedonia are uh, official candidates. They are actually talking about you know uh, joining, and we see a lot of developments happening there about them joining. You know it's been yeah. difficult with France uh, blocking a lot of those uh, accessions, Even and the, also the Netherlands and yeah, Denmark well. being c- critical on Albania. Right. Uh, so that's what we see on that side. We see Serbia and Montenegro. They are um, still of uh, candidates. Uh, candidate states who are not who are negotiating on the chapters. We'll we get we'll get there later too, um, and we see Bosnia and Kosovo who are still potential candidate states. Right, yeah. So I always find this a weird construct. You know, you have candidates and you have potential candidates, which is very sounds a bit double, doesn't it? You know, like potential yeah, it's candidate. Of- well, anyway, is the is the system they use, and that's uh, where we're at right now. Yeah. so also if you would like to try to um, put some um uh, you know time uh, and uh, uh, time paths on when would each country uh, join that would be also uh, roughly but you're never sure but that would be roughly the the, t- the time period when you're looking forward five 10 20 years uh, who will be joining mm-hmm. um maybe also good because I just used a few terms about how um, those proceedings go. Yeah. So the way joining the EU goes is that first, um, in the process of negotiations, you have, you know, the intent, a country, uh, has to express the intent that they want to join. They have to say that, okay, I want to join you guys. Um, and that usually starts with some pr- pr- prelim- uh, preliminary agreements. So there you go. Preliminary agreements, no trade deals and making uh, import export easier, having some kind of, um, working together, uh, already. Then after that, you get um, the uh, process of implementing reforms. So the EU has those certain standards which you have to meet, and you have to implement reforms which you will be u- uh, which you use to um, uh, adhere to the chapters which the EU has. The EU calls them chapters. So on every topic, um, which is like a policy field, so let's say, and it goes very micro. So it goes fishery, agriculture can go to mining can go to it infrastructure can go to taxes can go to rule of law these are the chapters these are the, chapters. It these are the
1: chapters. chapter it or chapter mining or chapter this yeah
2: it will be a, a bit bigger than it i think but it's also it's about uh, you know sectors and policy fields which right. need regulation policy. so okay you also have energy you have uh, you know trades one you have it's a bit, um, bit, bit bigger than yeah a bit bigger okay but you but there are 35 So it's not like there are like five chapters 35 chapters and you have to implement reforms to meet uh, the requirements on the chapters on one end. And there are also negotiations within each chapter. But I I feel that this has been
1: changing a lot recently. And the reason why we're talking about this topic is, so recent events from last year was the big discussion about the name of Northern Macedonia. Yeah. Uh, So uh, it was a really hot topic in the Balkans, you know, the, the, the... the f- former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia and Greece—they were fighting for a very long time about the name. And one of the uh, the demands was for Ma- for Northern Macedonia, the Republic of Northern Macedonia. <laughs> we had the maps up to date. Yeah, the see. maps up to date. So Republic that's Republic of Northern Macedonia. So um, when you um, you see that they wanted they wanted the country to change its name, and it did eventually. They really showed their uh, willingness. willingness to yeah. cooperate to to join the EU, and then when they did, um, for some reason, maybe you can enlighten us on this topic, though, like the way you see this. For some reason, the 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 demands became harsher after that. So they weren't rewarded for it. Actually, these countries that we mentioned earlier, uh, including the Netherlands, where where we both live, uh, they said they said like, look, no, it's not enough. Still, you need to do all these other things, and um, now. I think one of the main reasons for this podcast topic, let's say, is the Brexit that we saw in articles recently might have, again, changed the um, the mindset of EU about accession, basically making it easier again. Um, so how, how do you look at this? I mean, it's it seems kind of. Um, uh, it's difficult. It's schizophrenic. Let's yeah. say. It's like, no, yes, no. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's show the Britain, the Brits. um, You know, we can be big and strong again by taking the or whatever. That's how I.
2: Yeah. No. You know what I mean. It's a very big discussion. You are you you are you are touching the right point, which is the difficult point of, um, you know, the European Union is always in a battle when it comes to enlargement, on uh, what what I would like like to call like carrot and stick. You know, like on one end, you have to offer sufficient carrots to um, uh, potential member states to Uh, have the willingness to implement reforms because like a lot of reforms uh, which are necessary are painful you know and the ruling parties who are in power um, don't always uh, let's say get rewarded uh, electorally for those reforms Um, on the other end uh, you also uh, have to have enough of a stick to um, make make the bar high enough so not to let everybody join you know you still have to uh, be critical but who's everybody it's like literally these countries left I mean, yeah that, who's everybody the, like, that's true we know who it is but <laughs> it yeah is but them. like the, the, the thing that's behind it is all obviously like um, other member states saying like we had to fulfill it to these standards five years ago yeah but they didn't though they yeah, did though you know, and and that's difficult and that's very it's difficult like, to um to put your finger on because like those standards shift the whole time that's right. what you also, also said like exactly and the requirements and chapters change over time which makes negotiations sometimes very difficult because like you know recent developments and whatever can influence it on the other end what you also said about Greece and Northern Macedonia that's like um, the uh, the uh, extra uh, demands or the extra other X factors which can exist um, in those discussions like you have a few um in uh, the Western Balkans, so you had the discussion with Greece and Northern Macedonia about the country name. You had the discussion between Serbia and Kosovo, obviously, about autonomy and, and, and uh, borders and all of those things. Right. So let's say, if,
1: if, if I can uh, jump in right there. So let let we see what happened sort of with uh, the name change of Nord- Northern Macedonia. Yeah. They changed their name. The EU started to play hard again, like hard to get, like- um,
2: and what, but, what, 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 kind message,
1: what kind of message that does this send to the other countries? For example, Serbia, who yeah. you mentioned, about the Kosovo thing.
2: And they'll probably be like, why should we reform when Northern Macedonia did so? Right. So but we they're dem- and didn't get to join anyway.
1: Exactly. So they're demanding for Serbia to, to recognize Kosovo because that's one of the things that they are asking them to do to be able It's a demand. It's, it's a, a demand. demand in order to continue the process. Right, right. So what kind of message does that send?
2: And that's the reason why the EU, uh, or at least the EU, why the member states who have been Um, opponents have gotten a lot of backlash. Like Macron got a lot of backlash for blocking North North Macedonia's um, uh, admission or at least continuing the process of uh, negotiating admission because they, like a lot of people, what you're saying, say like, hello, we did the things we, like of all things, we changed the bloody name of our country, (laughs) you know, to please you. And still we're not getting in. And that's very... Um, treacherous because indeed what you're saying, like, I would also, if I were Serbian, I would be like, why would I, uh, uh, you no, know, let Kosovo go. Let's say I'm a nationalist Serbian. Why would I let Kosovo go? Um, if, 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 uh, Northern Macedonia, if, if, you know, there are no, no, um, no, there were no guarantees of getting in. And that's a discussion, which is like going on all the time within, in the EU, like between, the carrot and the stick, you know, like yeah, having enough that. stuff, I but also that. being stringent and sometimes it overshoots on one of the other side. And yeah. I really thought with North Macedonia now, the French overshot their line,
1: yeah. obviously. I mean, my opinion, this is just my opinion, so don't shoot me for this. But the I average mean,
2: European. I think,
1: I think the, the French have bigger problems in their own country to be messing around with, you know, these kinds of things. Macron, let's say. Um, what does the Brexit mean, though? So what, what effect will that have? Because, see, I think the EU is now ready to show the UK, you know, some – like they want to play strong now. They want to show the UK and the world now what they can do. They want to show some power, some influence. And uh, it seems like it shifted. Like there was an article last week, right, about this. Like what does this mean what does Brexit mean for the Western Balkans?
2: So Brexit uh, shifts the power balance a lot in the EU. So the UK was always like one of the more neutral players uh, within the European dynamic. So you always uh, saw that France, Germany, they would hold together quite uh, strongly. Mm -hmm. They were like, you know, in negotiations because of history and everything, they would cling together quite closely. And the UK, together with the Netherlands actually, were always trying to be some kind of a broker more, a bit more neutral player. And they would always try to peel Germany away from the, the cling, uh, the clinging hands of France to get some things done in the EU so now when uh, the UK is leaving you see that the uh, French German axis as it's called like that corporation, has become uh, a lot harder to break which is going to make them more influential in European negotiations what does it mean for the Western Balkans? It means for the Western Balkans two things, on one end you're more dependent on this axis. So you're also more dependent on what the French think. That's why we see the French blocking um, the entry of of, uh, North Macedonia and Albania to be a lot more significant than if the UK was still around because the UK was one of the traditional three big players in those negotiations. On the other end, and that is to the benefit of um, the Western Balkan countries, is that because of the UK leaving, um, the EU indeed wants to, you know, fortify its position uh, more. And that's why we do see and we do think that there will be more energy in the enlargement discussion now again to enlarge because uh, you see that the... um attention that, uh, the, uh, you, 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 know, the larger European unification process the bringing it c- together is getting that it's, it's, a, it's been weakened a bit by Brexit, you know, because one of the biggest players left. So you want to show people that people still want to join that people still want to come in. And the Western Balkans is, as you said, like the, the last uh, geographically closed region in the EU, which can join. Um, and that will be the next battleground uh, for 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 joining. but you know it's a still a battleground because the UK um, is obviously trying to peel away countries from the European grasp. you know they're trying to make all of these bilateral trade agreements now everywhere to fortify their position. That's going to be very difficult. So that's one game that's being played. And on the other end, which we also should, should like touch upon, which is one of the reasons which has made uh, EU accession also difficult for, countries from the Western Balkans is the influence of outside players who are not European. So right, Russia, right. Turkey, China, which is also uh, and now, happening. There.
1: Right. So now you have uh, the EU, which was, you know, let's say not as proactive in the last 10, 15 years in the Western Balkans, I would say. They've been silent since S- the fourth enlargement, basically. Right, right. Yeah. They've not really been proactive. Now you've got... And you've you've had in the rec- recent recent years, um, especially since uh, the Trump election, I think America regaining their interest in the Western Balkans. Russia already at it for a while now. China with their investments, you know, a few years back you had the uh, one of the Gr- Greek ports,
2: yeah, Piraeus, which is
1: bought by China, right. And now they're China is investing in the Balkans when it comes to infrastructure, energy, Belt Road Initiative, exactly all these things. Everybody sees this. So, of course, there's loads of money coming in from uh, the Middle East as well. So there's money and influence, let's say, pouring into that region from everywhere. So it's a geopolitical battleground of sorts. Has and it
2: ever not been? Has <laughs> it ever not been? Well, no, no. That's what it make, makes it what it is. But, um, you know, the way uh, how the, the Austro-Hungarians called uh, the Balkans. Tell me. They called it uh, you know, the um the barrel which uh which if you put a spark on it which explodes. Oh right. The, the explosive barrel of uh Europe. Oh, that yeah. was the, yeah. the Balkans. Yeah, but that was t- that was at that time
1: though. It wasn't it was at the time dependent. It was time true, context. true.
2: But the nineties uh, did not uh you know falsify their uh, uh statement, let's put it that way.
1: That was after some other that was after some other things happened.
2: Anyways, we digress.
1: Yeah. So um, what was I saying? I was saying that also the UK now, obviously, because it left the EU, um, th- the UK ambassador uh, to Bosnia uh, last week also said the UK UK is not going to uh, lessen their interest in the Balkans in Bosnia, for example.
2: That's peeling away.
1: Exactly. So now there's an extra player who has special interests in the region. So it's going to be, become really difficult. And I think that's also one of the reasons that the EU now is regaining their interest. Of course. That's the game so, that's being played. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned earlier, I think uh, Croatia is becoming uh, the chair yeah. for the next half year. At yeah. the, uh, of do the, the current half year. So right. January to somewhere. I see. So uh, they're a Balkan re- uh, country and um, that that's going to have some... Impact. So, what do you think that's going to mean for the region? So, the interesting what can thing, it mean?
2: Yeah, the, the interesting thing is that um, uh, Croatia is the chair now. So, and one of the strongest powers you have as the EU chair is that you have the what we what we political scientists like to call the agenda setting power. So, you basically as the chair. Uh, have a lot of influence over what gets, what gets discussed, you know, what topics get discussed in the council, in the EU. And that's very important when it comes to issues like enlargement, which haven't been on the agenda for a long time. We saw for the last time in 2018, we had the last summit in Sofia, which was Mm -hmm. the Western Balkan summit talking about these topics. And we, say, we saw there that there wasn't a lot of movement. It was also, of course, in the period that Brexit was in the air and a lot of uncertainty. But now with Croatia being uh, you know, one of the Western Balkan countries also, who have a lot of experience with the region, who have their network, they are uh, going to organize a summit in Zagreb too. And we're really going to see now what impact that this is going to have. Like so, so expectations now are really on the Croatians to put uh, enlargement on the agenda. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting for them to, you know, um, have more neighbors in the EU. It's simply economic interest too, but also, of course, geopolitical interest. Always, uh, always a player in the Western Balkans. And I, my personal guess will be that Croatia will make a move to. Um, Put you know enlargement uh, more you know put it higher on the agenda, yeah. and to try to make to make sure that it, it happens at least for North Macedonia um, for in, in a few years that would be the first uh, move. Exactly, I
1: think. yeah, because I was going to say you know the, the, the Croatia has of course historically rivalled kind of Serbia and Bosnia is there as well. They have their interests there as well. So would it, would it so obviously I understand Northern Macedonia, but when it comes to these neighboring countries. What do you think? How do you think they they'll act? Because you know it's not just economic. You also got the border crisis, and uh, there's loads of uh, migrants yes, in Serbia still. and in Bosnia and Croatia. Is basically the you know they're they're preventing. You know they're they're acting as the border of of Europe.
2: You know, so how do you think they'll act towards Serbia and Bosnia? I think it's um, difficult when it comes to those countries because um, when you look to towards a session, you have to really look at the process. And those countries like Serbia and Bosnia are like a lot, lot further behind in the process than uh, North Macedonia and Albania are. So it will be logical for Croatia to focus their energy first on those countries because. Low paying fruit. Yeah, lo- also that, but also because that way you can create a dynamic of, very simply said, if Albania and North Macedonia join the EU, mm-hmm. they can also lo- continue to lobby. for other countries to join. So together you're stronger. Now it's Croatia and a little bit of Slovenia alone trying to pull pull the process more towards uh, enlargement. So it's also very much about, um, uh, enlarging your numbers in that sense. At least that's my opinion. Okay. And, um, the other thing is, which, which I mentioned before, or tried to mention, like Serbia and Bosnia specifically have these, uh, lingering issues. Like Serbia has the Kosovo uh, question, you know, like, uh, how are they going to work out, you know, an agreement, and uh, independence and all of those questions? And Bosnia still has, you know, the, the, yeah, double double state in a state system, um, you know, uh, put, uh, put into place by Dayton. So that system, if that was what my thesis was about. My conclusion from the thesis was Bosnia will probably not will, be, will probably won't be able to become an EU member as long as that system, that federal system in its current form, is in place. Yeah. Because there are certain things in the structure, you know, like ethnic quotas and all those things, and not being able to uh, uphold certain judicial standards, which will, yeah, effectively render them unable to become an EU EU member. So, yeah, long story short, Croatia will probably first focus on North Macedonia and Albania, which is rightfully so, if you ask me. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, That will make sense, I guess, you know. And it's not like... uh the bosnians aren't in any hurry let's say yeah no yeah, but they, <laughs> they also
2: have their own problems to fix of, of course, course but so. croatia just has a very interesting role right now and like if you want to uh, create a parallel to what is happening in the netherlands um because uh croatia you no know, like i read, read this interesting article calling croatia the next netherlands of the south mm. and why are they saying this it's because um the netherlands has you know what i explained earlier traditionally with the uk been the natural brokers in the eu uh, when it came to agreements and uh, creating balances you know between a continental uh, anglo-saxon more northern sovereign interest but mostly in the western and northern uh, uh, parts of scandinavia uk france germany they've very much been a broker who worked very pragmatically to get agreements done, you know, like just creating alliances and let's say, okay, us together, we're going to do this and uh, get it done. In the South, there isn't a real player who has the same position. It's also because they're mostly bigger countries, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Greece. What kind of countries? Bigger countries. Bigger. uh Quite big countries. Right. But Croatia, in a certain sense, is very similar to the Netherlands, as it's one of the smaller countries, it is very also dependent on outside, you know, what happens for their economy. You know, it's very export and very tourist and all those things- Trade. uh, ...oriented when it comes to their economy. (coughs) That, That makes it interesting. Yeah. And also, um, because they have this traditional position. Being one of the Western Balkan states, but also being a bit of a bridge between, you know, the old uh, centrist uh, Habsburg uh, history, but also the, the Slavic world and the uh, Italian Mediterranean world, they've been very much this crossroad, which makes them a natural player to be the future broker. And I think they're going to use that position now with the chair two to enhance that, to fortify themselves as the future broker for the South. And if they do that successfully and smartly and i've seen a few things they've been they've been doing it well the f- last two months i'm really optimistic about their future geopolitical position uh, within the eu okay yeah sounds i mean i
1: i hope they they make the right moves let's say because you know we'll we'll see it's not a long time half year they're gonna to have to make some really big moves fast let's say
2: it's always half year but you'll be surprised what you can put on the agenda uh in half year in the eu like it, of course it goes slowly but you sometimes just need to ha- make the right moves and then you'll have uh, you'll yeah. have a lot of power in the in the grand scheme of things yeah 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 yeah, yeah. all right well what do you think of um
1: uh, what do you think of like when you go back to the the outside players. So you mentioned some, uh, you mentioned China, the big boys. Yeah. You mentioned the, the
2: Piraeus road. What was yeah, that? Well, like you, the Belt Road Initiative, but Piraeus is a good example. So, like China, obviously, is very busy with uh, enhancing their economic influence all over the world. Right. So you see it in Africa, buying uh, um, places with resources, and uh, like the Belt Road in- Initiative refers to a very, yeah, sometimes yeah, it's a bit nasty process with Chinese, which the Chinese do is that they uh, go to certain countries which might have uh, questionable dictators in Africa mostly, and then um, they hand them over loans so. They they loan them certain amounts of money to do certain projects, but they know that the country will never be able to pay back the loan. And they put in like a clause that if they don't put uh, uh, pay back the money, that what they built with the money or anyways of the highways or factories become Chinese, like mm. state owned. So it's basically some kind of economic colonialism. It's quite similar to what we did roughly as a colonial power is like hundreds of years ago without like giving it to them, but just taking it. But, same principle of like economic same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. And um, they've also, of course, been looking to, uh, towards the, the Balkan region. Like they, uh, so they bought Piraeus. It was the same thing. They loaned June, uh, Greece uh, money. Mm-hmm. They couldn't pay it back. Piraeus became Chinese. That's the way it went. Yeah. And uh, that is very interesting because uh, Piraeus is a very uh, strategic harbor in the Mediterranean. And it effectively gave the Chinese a very strategic position in the region. And they are, of course, also looking uh, up north to the Western Balkans, trying to um, buy strategic uh, or get a hold of strategic factories places. You know, there are a lot of resources. We recently got an article uh, written by Theodora about uh, lithium in Serbia. So go check that out if you haven't. uh, Definitely.
1: So read about lithium and Tesla
2: and all that. It's, It's nice. Great article by Theodora. Thank you, Theodora. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the Chinese, Turkey and Russia, of course, more historically.
1: Uh, you know, you know, you know something. I feel like because because the Western Balkans countries are are not as you know organized, not as let's say um, easily managed than other countries. It makes it harder for outside powers to gain to gain control of them. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Is this your U.S. <laughs> chaos
2: theory? Or? This is my chaos theory. Explain, Ex- please.
1: Well, I mean. Like I said, like, okay, we're Bosnian, right? So that's no secret. That was no
2: secret. (laughs) So,
1: but from what I've seen in in Bosnia for the past, let's say 10 years, I've seen Chinese, I've seen, you know, Arabs, I've seen Russians and it doesn't seem like all of them are sticking around. Like, you know, they they come in waves and then they kind of leave because not entirely, you know, but it kind of seems like. It's, it doesn't go as well as they hope it goes because of all the different things that they run into. Like y- you can't just walls in because the people there aren't organized and they don't get along politically all that well. So you can't really, but that's
2: just the feeling I have, you know? Yeah, well, like there, yeah. there is some truth to that. It's, it's difficult. You know? But still, you see nudges like towards certain directions, which can be very inf- impactful. You know? I hope it goes towards the EU path. That's my hope. That's the, that's and that's something you are seeing now. Mm. Uh, you know, you see it more prominently now. Mm. But like still, like look, uh, the way Serbia uh, functioned like ten years ago. Still, they were still more pro-Russian than pro- pro-Serbian, if you ask me, because of course their historical relationship with Russia has been very big and of course Russia has interest in having a strategic partner in the Balkans and Serbia has been their ally for you know last 200 years as, as far as I can I can tell yeah. even longer maybe so they've always had interest in the region and you see always, always uh, like Russian influence in Serbia mm-hmm. and, and Serbia had to make the very difficult decision of you know on one end going towards the European road and then on the mm-hmm. other end going towards the uh, Russian road yeah. or oh, like keeping on the Russian road and that's why You know, what I said in the beginning, um, the uh, political parties and the uh, leaders in power in those countries, if they want to switch to the European road or uh, uh, put that down more prominently, they have to do certain reforms, do certain things, which are not always popular with With the people. um, with exactly. all, all the people more traditional parts of yeah. the population let's put it that way yeah. so that's always a, a difficult game
1: yeah for sure
2: and then um, you get turkey which is always interesting turkey yeah turkey. man special role in the Balkans
1: they they're they're also Balkans we haven't really talked about they're not Western Balkans though yeah
2: well they owned practically all of it for 500 years so th- that yeah. was a, History. Yeah, we can we can ask them about that sometimes. Yeah. Maybe get a historian but like, on. When it comes to, to to the nudging part, you know, you see Turkey, uh, Turkey just uh, one of the best examples. I think in this sense is is how um, Erdogan. You know, uh, a few. I think it was a few years ago. Not, not even that long. Um, he, I think it was last year. He held a speech, uh, in Europe. Like he chose, he wanted to have a a speech in Europe to show his presence, you know, and that's the geopolitical power move like out of the book. And he chose Sabajevo to, um, hold that speech yeah, to to doubt yeah, because of course there is a certain following there a certain power base which uh, which is still very uh, pro-Turkish. Yeah, you see, see it all over the world. And like I'm not gonna, I'm not going to put any like value or any judgment on him doing that. It's, it's, it's of course is right, but it is a very uh, clear political power move, of geopolitical course. power move by Turkish government to go into Bosnia and Herzegovina to show the EU like. Hello, we're here. Like, we're here and see how close we can get to you, um, yeah. you know, without any problems because of course, Turkish ministers and anything have had problems going to yeah. other EU countries. But Bosnia was free game for them to go there definitely. because they have a certain part of course. Uh, which supports them. Yeah, definitely.
1: And also Russia, by the way. So the yeah. Russians are in Bosnia and in Serbia, same thing. So, yeah. so
2: like the, the game is played everywhere.
1: Like, like, let's be honest.
2: So yeah. that, that's, uh, we got the Americans as well, though not as prominent maybe. Oh, they're, they're, they're playing their game Well, they yeah. they were very important of course in the post-war years so like yeah. especially in Bosnia Herzegovina like the EU or in like Kosovo the US Kosovo now as well I think Kosovo very long time it's, it's, it's becoming a bit less like the US has they have their um, presence they're very I
1: think from what I've read they have a
2: really strong presence in Kosovo they do but yeah. that's also of course like partly on the NATO flag of course but yeah. you have you do see like a trend of the US uh, building down their, their, their presence in the Western Balkans Um, In favor of a stronger EU presence. It's not like they're leaving as a vacuum. It's like they're transferring that responsibility more towards uh, the EU slowly. But yeah, I think, I think, um, like one of the things we might might um, because I know you want to go to the questions too, don't you? No, you want to talk about? Oh no, you're no, so I don't far. want to oh. answer those questions. No, I'm oh, okay, <laughs> to, because I think yeah, <laughs> guys, b-
1: b- we'll answer those questions. Don't maybe, worry, They're maybe coming. before
2: we go go to the questions, like um, like a, a last takeaway about the issue because like we're we're going through it very uh, you know very like broad right now. It's a very difficult, mm. and complicated issue, but I think it would be good um for people like especially to people who who, li- who live uh, in in the EU uh, who listen to our podcast. Like it would be very good to, like, have a look at what what happens the coming few months when it comes to enlargement, read some stuff about it, and you know, let's see what you c- can do maybe because, in my opinion, like, there needs to be more pressure on uh, the Western, go- like, at least the Dutch government, French government, Danish government, to make headway with um, EU well, accession. Mean, that's
1: our opinion, but you know, we know that a large, large, a large part of the EU. Um, well not not most but a significant part of the population is against it like that's not
2: true it's actually when they did last eu barometer it was uh only 55 percent who is against and 45 uh, in favor so it's a small majority very right, small
1: but uh, significant that's what i said yeah okay well, so it's very saying. significant so <laughs> okay so, fair i'll give it, give it to you yeah so so um yeah make sure that if you do support the eu um Let's say give the the Western Balkans like a good good um, a push. Let's say the EU to, give the EU a push towards the Western Balkans
2: and just talk about it. Talk you about know, it. it's an issue that needs to be talked about. Needs
1: attention. Yeah, for sure. So also one thing, of course, if you're listening to the to the podcast, you have an opinion on this issue. Send it in. You know, we're we're listening to our uh, social media channels. So if you have a question or a or you just want to say something, whatever. Send us uh, a message on Facebook or on Instagram and, uh, we'll take it with us. You know, we'll, yeah, we'll, it'll come back somehow.
2: But yeah. I hope, I hope it's been enlightening a bit uh, about the current situation and what, what's happening right now. Yeah.
1: So, so, um, maybe we can move to the questions because yeah. I mean, like we, like we said at the start, uh, we're very happy that people actually responded. Um, so to all our listeners, thank you. Thank you. We yeah. chose three questions yeah. to do. So, so we had a couple, a, we chose three.
2: Yeah. And um you just want to go one Bob by one. Yeah, sure. Like um so the first question we got from Armin. So thank you very much Armin. Armin, your thank your you so much. Yeah. And he asked um what are the advantages of having an office in the Western Balkans for IT companies, and specifically about the infrastructure. So the advantages of yeah. the I, of
1: IT companies in the Western Balkans. Well,
2: for IT companies. For I IT. Think. So if you were an IT company who was looking to open up office in, let's right. say, uh, Skopje, so uh, right. what what would be the benefits? So I can tell you the benefits of, um,
1: I can tell you the benefits of, from what I've seen, uh, of opening up a shop in the Western Balkans in one of those countries there as uh, compared to other, Uh, very popular outsourcing places, right? So a very popular one is India is very popular with, with countries. There's a lot of big and, you know, very good and established companies uh, from around the world outsourcing in India, Um, especially when it comes to European uh, countries, companies from European countries. If you work with the, western Balkans, you have the advantage of it being the same time zone the culture being very uh, similar um basically it's really close so you're there within two hours max often close sooner like faster um with by plane so you can go over there yourself really fast or have your engineers or developers fly over to you really fast um the countries are, of course, relatively uh, economically feasible when compared to prices um, in, in Western Europe, let's say. Um, so, if, if you choose to do that, obviously, this is compared to Western Europe. Other Eastern European countries, especially those that have joined the EU, um, have in recent years already seen an increase in prices because, you know, an increase of living standards, an increase of everything meant that the prices of their services went up as well so that happened in Poland 20-15 years ago a lot of outsourcing happened there it still does so just to be clear a lot of it still happens there um but the prices have gone up and um we have seen a lot of good good companies in the Western Balkans that are of world-class quality and they're not any worse they're sometimes even better than countries in other eastern europe uh, companies in other eastern european countries while the the prices are still competitive so i think we just uh um just to um i think we talked to a business uh service business network uh, a few months ago and they were actually from poland i don't remember the name but you know
2: I remember also Doesn't matter
1: does But we, matter. we had a conversation with, with them And they opened up shop for the first time in Bosnia They are originally from Poland They were a long time in Poland A long time in Czech, uh, Czech Republic Czechia uh, In Romania I think as well And then they opened in Bosnia To make us enter into the Western Balkans Because basically the guy said Well this is the last place in Europe That can offer these prices for the quality So when it comes to infrastructure, I mean,
2: you have everything you you need. You have everything you need.
1: You're close by. You got you know internet. (laughs) You can get everything you need. People and you
2: have people there
1: are are young, educated, motivated. They want to, they want to make money because you know the, the standards aren't as great everywhere. So especially when it comes to um to like the bigger cities, you know young people. IT is very popular. So yeah. you'll get people that want to work, make make a living doing uh, IT for you. Yeah. So, good. yeah, no, good. I good. mean, this is, this is, uh, this is your game. This is my game, I, guess, I would say. <laughs> very good. <laughs> so once again, just to make clear, like I'm not um, dissing or against outsourcing any, anywhere else
2: just to, just for it to be
1: clear for our listeners.
2: But please do it in the Western Balkans. <laughs> but
1: Please consider doing it in the Western Balkans. At, at least, at least have a look there because there's a lot of, a lot of potential, especially like, um, I mean, this is just pushing ourselves like to, to the forefront, but we have a lot of contacts with a lot of companies. If you're interested in this, let us know. Drop you're so us
2: modest. Line. Man, look, I'm just you're being so, real. You're I'm, so modest and and laid back. It's unbelievable. It is. Yeah. We're How amazing. can I ever match this? You, you will never. I will never. I have accepted this a long time ago.
1: Right. So Armin, I hope with this, your yeah. question is um, answered. Once again, thank you so much for this question. Um, we'll uh we'll send you a message <laughs> so you'll uh yeah you'll listen to the podcast and share it with your friends um so maybe the next question the second the lady the the lady neda Nera. Or, neda she asked us about the banks and maybe you can answer this question yeah um, so you know some about this what was the question yeah so
2: though? neda asked why are uh, there are so many different banks in sarajevo and is it legal and if it's not legal, why not? So uh, good question. Uh, it's something that also uh, is on top of my mind. Um, so I'm going to pull it a bit bigger, though. No? like let's say just Bosnia and herzegovina not just Sarajevo. Sarajevo is also, of course, where the most banks will be. So the reason why I, which I know why this, uh, why this is the way it is, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I'm quite sure I'm not wrong, is that because when, uh, of course, like in former Yugoslavia, you had, uh, a whole banking infrastructure, you know, there were banks everywhere, but it was all government owned. You know, banks were not private. And when um, the, you know, system fell apart, the war happened, blah, 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 we all know it. After the war, a lot of, um, there was no uh, own uh, banking system and no uh, players who, who tried to set this up in a large scale because a lot of foreign players came in to buy up parts of that infrastructure. So a lot of uh, foreign players like you know the UniCredit Bank, ravisen Bank, Sparebank, um, you know banks like BBI come from Saudi Arabia. Later on, you see a lot of different banks from different parts of the world who came in, who either bought up certain parts of the infrastructure or opened up their own bank for a certain um, segment segment of the population. You know which you which is um, something you you see more broadly, but with the banks, it's very um, very prominent because you have, you know, like, I think Unicredit is like Italian. So they went, they went in from that side. You've like uh, Ravisen and we're like Austrian, I think, Just Swiss, maybe. um, no, they're all, I'm quite sure they were Austrian, okay. But, but okay. Fair enough and you have another Austrian player you have Spar which is from for Russia so you have like all these other players who came in who also have like certain uh, geopolitical interests a bit like uh, matching with certain groups and that's something which clashes in Bosnia of course as it has done um, um, more often in history clashes is, is a strong word it's not really
1: clashing now it's more of a Strong yeah, but
2: like historically, it has clashed a few times, uh, uh. and that's like the the the, the, the geopolitical divides, etc., internally and systematically and whatever. But that's the reason why um, it's so segregated because there's no um, there's no central, no like, putting it together, and there are no. Um, Takeovers, etc happening because they're also tied to foreign banks so that's why you have this weird construct of having like way too many banks for uh, yeah population.
1: you do have a, like a central bank in, in Bosnia
2: yeah there, there is still the, the Bosnian bank of course like the, the the central federal bank yeah but they are not the biggest player and they are not private so not, but like yeah. that's why you have so many private players exactly. so that's the reason which I know why all these banks but are one part of the question
1: was was it le- is it legal oh yeah I think it's legal it's but of legal, course
2: yeah. but like you can't like you can have an opinion about it, but I've, like very simply said, it's still private sector and yeah. markets. So you can't um, it's basically uh, prohibit them from opening. Like if I want to open up a bank tomorrow in Bosnia, I can. The question is if I'm going to get customers, but you know, when you appeal to a certain a, a segment of the population and everybody does that um, and you have no really wide banks, you have, you have a few, but not, you know, it's, it's easier to keep it going um, like enough to be, um you know sustainable but never to be able to grow enough so you could take over the others right. so you, you get like some kind of <laughs> weird um... so
1: basically basically it seems to me like after the war it, it, there was a vacuum it was it was um a free-for-all like yeah it, it was basically it's now settling there's b- b- after the war a lot of this financial infrastructure didn't exist like a lot of other infrastructure didn't exist so it was like this a- anarchy this libertarian paradise or free market <laughs> open up your own bank everybody open their own bank come no, in it were foreign <laughs> ones who came in who bought the, all the infrastructure come in and open your everybody had their own bank yeah. basically and 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 um now it's settling in you have the players and so on so maybe that's one part that you know like you mentioned a lot of people came in private foreign whatever loads of banks but it's all legal because it was just an, the, um, the outcome of the situation as it was in the nineties, yeah. basically. To answer your question, Neda, I hope that you are enlightened. Uh, by our wisdom,
2: <laughs> if you don't agree, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the
1: comments. <laughs> Leave a like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, uh, thank you so much for your question, yeah, data. Thank you yeah. very much. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. And we have a final uh, question as well from our dear good friend. Oh, our 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 number one, our first podcast ever. Our Go first, back, listen to it. Episode one,
2: season one.
1: Amer Gurgic, we can say his name, right? Because yeah, it's yeah, Bits yeah. versus Bytes.
2: Bits versus Bytes
1: podcast, check it out. His check podcast. it out. He's it's a it's a te- technology podcast. He's got he's in a, in the seventy something episode now, so he has made quite a few episodes already. It's always with uh, business people or CEOs or CTOs or whatever yeah. in some sector of technology. It's a really good podcast. Check him out. Amer, thank you for the question. Sandro, what was the question?
2: Amar asked us, what do you think is one thing that needs to happen for a positive change in the Balkans? So, if you have two hours, we can... (laughs) 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 Settle in, settle in, folks. Settle in. (laughs) But, uh...
1: One thing, we have to choose one thing.
2: One thing would, for me, be the topic of today, EU accession if the Western Balkan well, That's actually a
1: lot of things that need to happen.
2: Okay. But like... Like a um, lot of things
1: need to happen okay, yeah. for that to happen. That so. is true.
2: That is true. Maybe I'm cheating a little bit. Yeah, you are. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. I think, okay, so maybe uh, to make it more personal, you know, like to, to, to pull it back more a bit to the people. I think that this is like one thing that I, I generally would say to anybody everywhere at all times. And that's taking ownership of your own destiny and your own future. I'm going to be very motivational speaker right now but i really think that the, the best change which can happen is if people just look around at the opportunities they do have opportunities yeah around opportunities them. around them and 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 even in neighboring countries but just to you know take uh you know manifest destiny to, to put it in u.s terms you know just to go ahead to go ahead and and you know create your own future yeah you gotta put the u.s flag down very good but America. i think that's um, <laughs> I think that's one of uh, the serious answer like i think that is very important for because i can imagine a lot of like especially younger kids uh in the western balkans growing up can get disheartened about um uh the outlook for in some countries and some parts where they live and then you know if you're if you're like listening and watching this podcast you know like my message for you will be and like you could say okay it's easy for you to talk from from the netherlands but still like um, you, you have to take destiny of your own future and try to make the most of it and take ownership of what you're doing mm. and try to make the best of it and, and just work hard. And I think that's something, and I think that's the mentality, which a lot of Belka people have, but every day, more people can use it. And I think when people inter- internalize this, they can do anything. Mm. So I think that's very much my motiv- hashtag motivational, uh, moment of the podcast. Like that's, that's just uh, my core business in general anyways. But Motivating people? Um, well, just being, uh, you know, taking ownership of, of my own future. Taking
1: ownership. But that's in it. a
2: few years, I will be a professional motivational speaker, of course.
1: Yeah. We will re- write a book and all that and sell it to you on a course online.
2: <laughs> this, is, this is so 2008.
1: <laughs> exactly. But okay. Exactly. No. Yeah. But that's a good, that's a good answer. So the one thing that needs to happen in, is that, Let's say the not the majority, but a critical mass of people in the Balkans uh, change their uh, change their mentality on life.
2: On what's possible.
1: So you, if, once you reach on what's possible, once you reach a critical mass, a lot of things will start to happen. Because if people live the way you describe them to live, like taking ownership of their own life, their decisions. And despite the political system, despite the school, the schools, despite the, the roads, despite all these things, because nobody's saying that these things aren't bad or shit or whatever, right? They are. But despite all of these things, there's going to be opportunities and chances. And your mindset needs to be, I'm going to take these chances and I'm going to make the, make the best out of them. And when, let's say 10 15% of the population does that you're going to be you're you're going to have a critical mass and things are going to change yeah. and i think actually i said this before i'm going to say it again i'm sorry you start you're starting to see this happening with the younger generation in a lot of places not everybody obviously a lot of people still leaving you know brain drain is still a big problem but it's happening and it's really cool to see with the startups and the uh, young entrepreneurs and the motive, you know the
2: it's awesome. everything yeah. yeah but yeah okay so that's but apart from the motivational uh, amir if you want a really concrete answer about one thing I would say rule of law also one of the parts I mentioned for the EU reforms <coughs> it, rule of law needs to be enforced and you need a certain judicial standards if you have that laws will fall into line if it, want, if, if it wants to or if it doesn't want to that's the whole point with law <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think you have to do certain things so that's also important but yeah I stay with ownership. 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 So maybe maybe that's that's a good
1: point to actually start. You know, leave our listeners with. Um, yeah, sure. I th- let's let's have a short recap. I, I think we said a lot of things, and to be honest, I think we said a lot of things that'll be very um, high over for a lot of people. But it's okay. So we wanted to inform. We wanted to have the discussion uh, with you. We wanted to make sure that. There's more attention on these things in the Balkans, um, outside of the Balkans on stimulating the Balkan countries joining the EU and why it's important. And, um, you know, I think we did, uh, you know, a decent job with this podcast. Hopefully, I hope you like it. I hope you don't hate it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I just, I just really want to invite people to just read more on the topic because, yeah. like, there's so much to read about it, and there's so many things happening right now, which yeah. uh, people are not seeing because, you know, like especially if you're living in Western European countries or the U S like Western Balkans isn't sexy. You know, it isn't, you know, EU enlargement negotiations in the Western Balkans are not sexy, but they are very important for our future. So I would very much encourage people to read more about it. And if you read like, I could do like a three hour special by myself on this topic. So don't, uh, don't, don't, yeah, please don't. (laughs) Leave in the comments if you want me to, but, um, zero comments, zero comments. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, but I, it, it is really important and I really think people should, um, uh, pay attention to it. And I hope that you at least been, um, that your interest has been piqued a bit, um, about what we talked about. So yeah, yeah that's my, uh, awesome takeaway. So let's leave it at that
1: I mean thank you so much everybody
2: yeah thank you, you know? everybody and um, Sunny, i I'll see you uh, next interesting topic you'll see me in like 10 seconds after this recording stops <laughs> yeah that's
1: true <too>, but uh... <laughs> so let's uh, let's just wrap it up there thank you guys thank you once maybe thank you once again for the people asking the questions so
2: yeah Armin, Neda point. and
1: Amer thank you for your questions and everybody else that's sending their uh, comments and questions stay tuned send them in next time and we'll answer them the best that we can Yeah, so that's it. Thank you very much. Hey, see you later. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Balkan Talks. Don't forget to follow the Western Balkans Business Group on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, and at WBBG Official on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a positive review and follow our podcast to stay up to date on all our future uploads. You might also want to check out any of the other episodes of the Balkan Talks, which are available online. If you would like to learn more about the Western Balkans and all the opportunities that exist in the region, please contact WBBG at www.wbbusinessgroup.com. WBBG, connecting the Balkans.